3: Everyone dreams, but most people don't know their dreams can be used for personal development. Today's guest, Maciel Clerk, shares how you can manifest the life you want by cultivating an intimate relationship with your dreams and taking the guidance you receive from your subconscious. According to Maciel, if you ask the right question and keep an open mind, your dream will give you an answer. Maciel is a licensed therapist, expert, and international speaker on dreams. He's traveled the world studying various cultures, through Healing Traditions and Dream Practices. In his book, Dream Guidance, Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation, Makyo explains how dreams can help us in all areas of our daily lives. Welcome, Makyo. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, John. And it's such a pleasure to be with you.
3: So, Makyo, I want to start off by talking a little bit about dreams. and And I think the first question most people would have is, does everyone dream?
1: Oh, yes. Great question. And indeed, research shows that everyone dreams. Actually, we probably dream somewhat between four and seven dreams each night. That totals up to two hours of uh, dreaming every night. And the reason that people don't know uh, that they dream or forgot that they dreamt is that at night, our short-term memory goes offline. So we don't really remember what happens during those six, seven, eight hours that we lay in bed. And that is because our memory doesn't work well. But the strange thing is, our mind is actually active. And one way that's active is in these dream experiences that we have.
3: Speaking for myself, there are nights, like you said, mm-hmm. that I'll I'll have a, a deep night's sleep and, and I don't even think I'm dreaming. I I wake up as, you know, nothing happened. And then there are other times yeah. where I'll wake up and there will be a dream that was so real that I felt like I was there. Why is that the case that sometimes it's so vivid and we remember it, and other times mm-hmm. it feels like nothing's happening?
1: Well, very often when uh, the, the the dream experience is very emotional, it will stick with us in, uh, and it gets stored in our, uh, our short-term memory. Memory is very dependent upon the intensity of the experience. That is why we might remember what happened on 9-11 or on the day we married or something because those days our our emotions were very high and we we remember those events and it's same with uh with dreams uh when the dream is very intense and uh that sometimes happens that you even feel like gosh this was so real uh i didn't even know i was dreaming or unless you only after you wake up this is why uh we uh we sometimes remember those those dreams and other dreams that are probably a little bit less intense and more mundane, we don't uh, we don't remember well.
3: When you remember a dream like that, is that you know almost <laughs> like your subconscious screaming out to you that there's something here you need to know.
1: It uh, it, it indeed it is uh, it is a signal that uh, that event was very intense and emotional for you. And emotional events almost always uh, suggest either hey pay attention to what is going on. Or it might even give you a heads up of what is about to happen or a direction for you to go into. So, indeed, if you uh, wake up from a dream that was very intense, there's some some meaning and some purpose to that that can, uh, that can be mined out of it. That's, uh, that's totally right.
3: You write about something called dream incubation. And, and what is it and how can that help us yeah. unpack these
1: messages? Dream incubation is a very old technique in which people ask the dream a question before they go to sleep in order uh, for the dream to give an answer to their question. So we all walk around with uh, with questions and dreams and hopes that we would love to have some support for from the internal wisdom that we all have and that wisdom can speak through dreams. And uh, uh, this uh, dream incubation is a technique in which you ask your dream a question and that could be for health or relationships or growing your business or anything that's relevant for you and then get an answer in your dreams.
3: Does this happen automatically? Do you ask and then the next morning you have the answer or do you have to repeat this process over a period of time?
1: Yeah, a great question. What you want to do with this technique is really uh, think about what it is that you want to know. So often uh, we might uh, want to maybe there's a person who wants to uh, find a partner or grow a business or want to eat more healthy or be more kind to oneself. And then um, you identify that uh, you have that uh, that question. You uh, write down the question and formulate it in a well, in, in a good way, because part of the, the success of the technique is that you uh, formulate the question well, uh, engage in some uh, what I call a ritual but the ritual is really a way of, uh, of, of of maybe praying or meditating or making some art that communicates to your own unconscious mind or uh, the divine or the spirit, whatever you want to call this phenomenon that lives in us. And, uh, and 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 those are prerequisites that you do before you go to bed, so that the dream knows. Oh, this is important to to Joan, and she wants uh, help with X. And I I learned that because she did all these these rituals. And then the dream uh, will come. And usually the first night, if it doesn't come the first night, just try a second or a third night. But the, the dream is interested in helping and educating when we ask it for help. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's how the technique, uh, the first steps of the technique really work.
3: Would we receive our answer in a vivid dream form or would we just wake up with some sense of knowing?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Well, the, the old, uh, wisdom is that, uh, when, when we're in trouble, people often say, uh, sleep on it or, uh, uh, take, yeah, take a night of, of, of good sleep, which, uh, suggests that we all, uh, know that something happens at night that, uh, in, in which we work through issues. And some people wake up uh, with an inner sense of knowing and they just, uh, know. Or uh, throughout the day, they have a uh, synchronistic event, or something helps them. Uh, so that could happen, and uh, and and the tech this technique is really aimed at that you get a dream that helps you. But if you don't remember the dream, you might wake up with with oh, I need to approach this problem in this way, or I need to do this. Mm-hmm. So it it can come in many ways,
3: and that's the important part because you know it's like we need a sledgehammer hit over our head or something like here's the answer on a silver platter but we just really need to learn how to tune into ourselves to tap into our inner wisdom
1: yes that that is so right and uh, this technique is just one way of tapping into this inner wisdom and you uh, strengthen that relationship by reaching out to the inner wisdom talking to it uh, communicating with it through a ritual, spending some time with it. And that in itself helps a person to get a dream, but it also strengthens strengthens really the relationship with the inner wisdom, by which we become more attuned to our intuitions or uh, notice and synchronistic events throughout the day. It is also a little message from the beyond guiding us on our path.
3: Why do you believe dreams are so difficult to interpret? I know when I wake up and I have one of those vivid dreams, Mm -hmm. I immediately start to, you know, research everything that was in that dream to try to figure out what the message was. If it's so important, why don't we just tell ourselves what it is?
1: Well, because the dream uh, uh, talks in a slightly different language than the language that you and I right now talk in. So the dream creates uh, a world. And in that, that world is an expression of, uh, of uh, feelings and beliefs and uh, expectations and, and our emotions. So in a dream, maybe we would be walking into a street and then it turns out to be a, a one-way street or it is a street with a dead end. And uh, that, uh, that way it would represent uh, we're, we're walking into a an, an one-way street so it, it, it uses an, uh, a, a different form of uh, manifesting its, uh, its, its idea than our more direct communication. In a, in a certain way, the way that the dream uh, presents it is, is more comprehensive. And, and, and uh, like uh, the old idea that uh, uh, a picture says more than a thousand words and a, and a three dimensional world says more than a picture. So it's, it's really uh, intelligent that way, but it is also we, we need to be attuned a little bit to the way uh, dreams communicate and how that is slight is different from uh, from our own uh, own way. So a dream communicates more in, in uh, it uses symbols and metaphors, um, and that way we uh, we can learn to understand the dream. And there's some some practical ways that uh, that we actually can uh, can work with our dream without uh, needing to dissect the whole dream. So, would, you, would
3: you share uh, some like of those I, with us, some of those practical ways?
1: Yeah. So instead of asking the classic question, uh, what does this mean, which we all do when we, we wake up, we could ask the question, what, uh, what was the experience or what was happening? And um, let me give an example. There was recently a man who had a dream in, in which he was driving in a tunnel and he saw in front of him, and, uh, and he said, I think I see a uh, mountain lion. Yet when he came closer, he said, oh no, it's a tiger. It's beautiful, but I got, I'm really scared. So he slams on the, on the brakes and he drives back. And if you ask the question, what, what is happening? You could say, oh, he's driving in his car, he's moving through life, and when he sees something that's beautiful but scary, he slams on the brakes and he, is, uh, he backs out. And you have an, uh, a dynamic and you can look and where in my life do I, do I see this dynamic that if I encounter something that's beautiful but scary that I'm, that I'm instead of approaching it, that I'm out. And, uh, and this man had a, had a question around his dating life. So it made a lot of sense to him. But you see how by asking the question, what is happening, you can, you can get a storyline and uh, that doesn't require us to know all the symbols.
3: So we've been talking about the subconscious and, and the inner guidance that we, that we receive, but you had mentioned mm-hmm. that dreams also have the opportunity for spiritual messaging as well. So can you explain that a little bit more? And why does that occur while we're sleeping?
1: Well, I think it occurs also uh, when we're not uh, sleeping, that we're always connected to the inner wisdom, which is connected to a larger phenomenon that uh, whatever name we give it, uh, the, the unconscious or spirit or the divine or something larger than ourselves that knows about our lives and that is actually interested in helping us live our life in, an, in the most optimal way. And uh, it communicates throughout the day, I think, through intuitions and feelings and our instincts and uh, maybe synchronistic events. Yet when we're sleeping at night and we're in this... A different state of consciousness, we're a little bit closer to its uh, uh, original form, where maybe the soul or the spirit uh, uh, is, and we're more open to uh, to its uh, its its communication. So, at night, uh, and people uh, people will, will will probably recognize that we have sometimes a dream that maybe tells us something that will happen in the future, or uh, meet uh, deceased ancestors that can meet us in the dream time, and probably also in this reality that we can see them and, and it's much more difficult to uh, to notice them, or we get a suggestion for something that is important for our purpose and uh, and, and those things uh, happen easier in the dream time and my assumption is that's because that dream time is uh, we're, we're more open to uh, to to our soul or our spirit
3: hmm So when we dream of someone who passed away, like a parent or a loved one, it very well may be a visit from them?
1: That is my experience. And um, I think sometimes it's a symbol, and it means uh, that the, the own psyche uses that person to represent a certain quality. But I've seen in my own life, and with the uh, many uh, people I've worked with, that sometimes people say, gosh, I feel like this was uh, dad or this was mom really visiting me and giving me a message. And usually those dreams uh, feel a little bit more intense and have a different uh, quality to them and, and not very often have a, a certain serenity to it. It's not uh, uh, chaotic or fragmented, but it feels like, oh, mom came by to let me know something, that she's okay or that I'm doing fine or something to that uh, do that uh extent, and uh, and people feel uh, feel that they were being visited by uh, by a deceased loved one.
3: That happened to me, Malkiel, 21 years ago after my father passed away. I, I've dreamt of him one mm. time in 21 years, and it was right yeah. after he died, and he gave me information to tell me that he was okay. But to this day, 21 years later, yeah. I can describe what he was wearing. I remember every mm-hmm. detail of that dream, and, and I really do believe that he came to let me know he was okay
1: yeah oh beautiful i I just got goosebumps from you sharing this uh this story and uh I think also it, it's really beautiful and that that uh, what, what you describe is it have has those features of oh it really felt like that uh, uh the the quality of the dream is different than if than, than a regular dream it feels it feels a little bit more special. And, um, and I'm so happy for you that he came by letting you know yeah. that he was doing, uh, doing well.
3: That's why your work is so important, because if we just slow down and start to pay attention to all of this guidance that we are given, we really can go through this life just, I, I think, with more joy, with more wisdom, mm-hmm. and, and just being aware of who we are and where we are.
1: Yes, I, uh, I I also really uh, love that you say when we slow down. And this, I think, indeed, the quality that it uh, that requires. And, uh, uh, even before we go to bed, we let the dream know, hey, I'm paying attention. Whether you ask a question or not, just tell the dream. I would love to have a dream. And the next morning, write down the dream because otherwise they evaporate. And then uh, you, we build and nurture this relationship with this inner wisdom that uh, uh, can help us and guide us on this journey through life. And, uh, and, and we can live a little bit more colorful life. And life is, is really difficult sometimes. So we have this free uh, resource living inside of us that wants to help. And, uh, and we just need to reach out and listen to it and slow down so that we can, uh, can sense into it and, and feel its presence.
3: So when we go to sleep at night, we have different physical processes that are going on in our body that are taking place mm-hmm. for our health and well-being. But a lot of people yeah. daydream during the day. Is it different? Is it on a yeah. different level? And, and can you explain the difference?
1: Ah, uh, yes. So what I think is that um, there are multiple states of consciousness coexisting. So we have so, let's say our waking uh, consciousness or our, our habitual consciousness. And then uh, underneath it, or wherever you want to place it, underneath it is, is the dreaming consciousness. And when we fall asleep, we fall uh, into this dreaming consciousness. And so our habitual consciousness and this dreaming consciousness, they merge and we have the experience of dream. However, when we open our eyes again, uh, we just ascend out of that state of consciousness, but that state remains underneath and uh, and and will coexist during the day so when we uh, daydream or fantasize actually these two states they merge a little bit and uh, and and we get in touch with uh with our uh, unconscious or the dreaming consciousness so i think those those are similar experiences the the daydream and the and and the night dream the night dream is just more intense and you fully fall into it where the daydream is just uh, in a little dose, we we get in touch with um, yeah, with 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 our own soul or unconscious.
3: The book is Dream Guidance: Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation. Macchia, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work?
1: Well, probably the easiest thing to do is just type in Dream Guidance and then maybe my last name K L E R K Clerk. Then it will bring people to my website, which is my first and last name, machilklerk.com. Maybe you can put it in in the notes. I know it's a bit of a difficult name, uh, a Dutch name for um, um, for the country we live in and uh, and many countries. Um, or go to Jung Platform, J U N G Platform.com, where uh, I have some programs of myself, but also other spiritual and, and psychological programs on how to deal with, this, uh, with the shadow and synchronicity, etc. That uh, could uh, be of, uh, of a benefit to people that are interested in deepening their journey of their soul.
3: Makiel, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with?
1: I would love to encourage them to try tonight, when they listen to this, uh, to ask their dream a question write down a question, make it a simple question, ask one question at a time, and just experiment. Uh, you can't do much uh, wrong, but uh, if people uh, uh, get a little bit of guidance from their soul in a playful way, an experiential way, uh, and try, uh, try this method, I think uh, that would be awesome for, uh, for, for them, and I would be uh, just excited if they, uh, they would try it.
3: Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been a fascinating conversation, and I'm so happy that you were here to share with us.
1: Thank you, Joan, and thank you for your really interesting questions and uh, and sharing some of your own experiences. It was uh, lovely to hear, and it was great to be with you.
3: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Take action today. Head to BestPathForMe.com. Again, that's BestPathForMe.com.
3: An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. That's CYACYL.com slash media training. time for To Your Health. Joining me today to talk about how hypnosis can be an effective way to quit smoking is Mary Beth Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis and sound practitioner and the founder of Metro Hypnosis Center. Mary offers online hypnosis to people around the world. She's the author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So Mary, smoking causes damage to the body, which can lead to long-term health problems. But it's a hard habit to break because tobacco contains the addictive chemical nicotine. As with heroin or other addictive drugs, the body and mind quickly get used to the nicotine in cigarettes. Why do you believe this is an especially important time for people to quit smoking? That's a great question, Joan. And this is an important time to quit smoking because we have
4: COVID-19. So that's really why it's always an important time for your health with smoking, because it creates uh, cancers, heart disease, strokes, diabetes. But now having the facts, from the UC of San Francisco that shows any smoker that they did the research of about 12,000 people, the uh, progression of disease and the progression to go into a critical mode of the disease for smokers was nearly double.
3: And that's really important information, Mary, because we're all looking for ways to avoid COVID. And this is something that's within our control. So let's talk a little bit about when someone wants to quit that person makes the decision what are some of the challenges that a person will experience when quitting right and one of the things you mentioned is that it's an addiction that's that's why smoking sometimes is challenging
4: It's a habit and an addiction with the nicotine so sometimes when people quit they and everyone's different because the nicotine seems to affect different people some people i work with have really not a lot of side effects just like a craving but other people go through like a detox in their body um the sweats and all of that so everyone does that differently but so they just have to realize that um they need that commitment and but to be aware that there will be some cravings or strong urges for it and that's where hypnosis comes in to help you deal with that to give you the tools to fight it and become the non-smoker
3: so how does that happen mary how does hypnosis help so
4: um typically when i work with someone we first create a script about becoming a non-smoker because it's very individual for everyone. So yes, we can have a generic for people to use, but if you really want to get to your trigger points, um, I actually under- get to understand your habits. Um, what's when are you smoking the most in different locations, and then we create the script on that. So we create like a scenario you becoming a non-smoker. We add positive affirmations, um, and it gives the motivation to quit smoking. So at the end of that session, I read that to you in hypnosis. So we plant the seeds of you becoming a non-smoker. And then you listen to that recording um, that, of the script that I create for you. So every day you're getting that reinforcement and the, and the support, because that's what it is. People need support when they're quitting smoking. And then each session built upon the next, we try to understand what the cigarette is giving you. What's, what's your reasons that or the real triggers so stress is one of the biggest triggers and that's one of the things that it can help with so I teach people uh, self-hypnosis to help you stay strong if you feel that need to smoke and that you can push that craving away how effective is hypnosis in getting this done hypnosis is very effective I can't say it's a hundred percent because it's going to depend on your motivation your commitment But I'd say for the most part what I see in my practice is at least 90% effective. But I always check in with people, I kind of assess people where they are on their journey of quitting smoking and look for a certain level of motivation. So I look for like a six or more motivation to quit smoking um, so that they are doing it at the right time to succeed.
3: So it basically helps get to the root cause of why someone smokes. Right. And that's my, my uh, program with hypnotherapy is we're really trying to understand what that connection
4: is to the cigarette. What's the cigarette doing? And, you know, if you're a non-smoker, you may not understand that that cigarette is, is like an old friend. So it's actually sometimes some sadness comes in the sessions because you're losing an old friend that's been there for all the good times and all the bad times. It's always been there. So there's an emotional component as well, which I find in a lot of sessions, because, you know, not even a person has been there for people like a cigarette has been there. So it's releasing that and releasing that connection and filling yourself up with more of the positive and and your own support that you can handle anything on your own.
3: Mary, can you offer a few tips to help someone quit? Sure.
4: Um, my first thing I tell people when they're going to take a cigarette pause. Try to check in with yourself to see why you're wanting that cigarette. Is, are you stressed? Are you bored? Um, and if you can push away that and distract yourself, that's what I would tell people, to distract yourself and see if that goes away. And a lot of times if you distract yourself, you'll move on. Also, smoke with your other hand. Make it uncomfortable. Put the cigarettes in a place that's not so easily accessible. So you have to become a chore to get the cigarettes. Like, let's say you're driving. Normally, that would be your smoking place. Put them in the trunk so that they're not easily accessible. So those are some good tips to start weaning yourself and quitting smoking.
3: Mary, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more information about Mary and her work, you can visit her website, MetroHypnosisCenter.com. Once again, Mary, thank you. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my Training program It's Your Time to Shine. I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com mediatraining media training. That's cyacyl.com mediatraining media training.
4: This is Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City
3: welcome back to conversations with joan i'm joan herman thanks for staying with us Fans of David Baldacci will welcome the return of Amos Decker in David's new book, Long Shadows. David joins us today to talk about his new thriller. David is a number one best-selling author and one of the world's favorite storytellers. His books are published in over 45 languages and in more than 80 countries, with 150 million copies sold worldwide. David's work has been adapted for both feature film and television. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Uh, Great to be here. Thank you.
3: David, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the character Amos Decker, tell us a little bit about who he is and why he's such a fan favorite.
0: So he's he's this enormous guy. He was a former football player in the NFL. And on one play during the NFL, he was blindsided and almost killed. He suffered a traumatic brain injury. And he came out of it with two attributes he didn't have before. One is hypothermia, which is perfect recall. And the second one is synesthesia, which is where your sensory pathways commingle after a TBI. So he sees dead bodies, for instance, in a vivid shade of electric blue. He can't play football anymore, so he becomes a police officer in his native Ohio and then he becomes a consultant to the FBI. And uh he goes into every case with this sort of unique perspective. He sees everything, listens to everything, can lay fact on top of fact and look for inconsistencies. But he's also burdened, you know, a perfect recall is not always a good thing. He has a lot of personal trauma in his past. His family was murdered. Uh, he can never forget any of those memories. They they happen today as if they you know they happen as vividly today uh, as when they happened 20 years ago. So time does not heal all wounds for him. And in this novel, he is paired with a brand new partner, Frederico White, Freddie White from the Baltimore FBI office. He doesn't want to work with her. He doesn't want to work with anybody. He had a very traumatic experience to open the novel Long Shadows that has really rocked him to his core. But he has to work with her and they have to fly down to South Florida to work on a case, a double homicide, where a federal judge has been murdered along with her bodyguard and in her home. So they go down there to tackle another case. But this is a really tough one with, with Decker because he's got a lot of personal issues going on.
3: David, if someone hadn't read any of the books that led up to this one, can can they just pick up this book and, and read it without having read the others?
0: Yeah, you can. my. my my publisher would, would tell you that in order to enjoy long shadows, you have to read my entire collected work mm-hmm. before you do it and pay for it. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say no. I I'm <laughs> I'm really good about giving you a thumbnail sketch early on, so everything I just told you is pretty much in the opening chapter. Uh, so you know who amos decker is where he came from what he's doing and then you move on with the story so you can enjoy the story without having read the other books
3: and you know you were on the show a couple of it it, it seems like a couple of years ago honestly i'm losing track of time but when your last book came out and i've been working on a book for five years and i still haven't finished it how do you write so many books so quickly
0: i you know i wrote you know uh, a lot for years without any compensation. because just I loved doing it. It was storytelling was part of my life. So any day that went by that I wasn't writing something, for me it was a lost day. Um And I've, seen, I've never changed that outlook or mentality about writing. It's not I write a book for a paycheck. It's like I get up and I'm searching for stories to tell. And I think because of that, I just do. I work harder and I do it longer. And you know, full days for me every day. Uh, I don't take breaks. I don't take vacations from it because I feel like I'm my whole life is a vacation because I get to do what I love, and I get and I make my living from it. And I also have to say that during, you know, COVID, everything was horrible. It was a terrible for the world and, you know, bad news everywhere all the time. And my books really became a safe space for me. A cocoon, I think over the course of like two and a half years, I probably wrote six books um, just because that was, you know, where I wanted to be to get away from the reality of, you know, just a horrible situation.
3: For someone who's working on a book right now, when you publish so many books, does the writing become like a formula? Is it kind of like a – I know it's always creative, but is there like a fill-in-the-blank kind of process to it after a while?
0: No. I mean, I wish I I could tell you yes, but not really. Every book is totally unique, so – it's not like when I sit down to write a book, I say, okay, so this is how the opening is going to be, that I'm going to have three or four twists here, a little bit of a red herring there, and then it never happens that way. Every book grows organically and differently from every every other book just because the nature of the process is such that there really isn't a process. You sit mm-hmm. down and you just try to be creative and think of things, and you build word after word, a paragraph, and page after page. And at the end of the day, you you know, you have a story or you, you don't have a story. Um, so it's it's like I'm writing my first novel over and over again. But I, I will have to tell you, you know, my, my first novel was made into a feature film with Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman. And William Goldman wrote the screenplay, and, you know, he won two Academy Awards. He's written some of the greatest films of all time. And I spent a lot of time with him while we were filming Absolute Power. And he said, "Look, he said, the minute you think you know what you're doing as a writer, you think you have a process, you think you've got it figured out, there's a formula, you might as well hang it up because you've lost the one key ingredient that every writer needs to actually be good, and that is a sense of fear and a sense of wonder uh, that you have no idea what the hell you're doing."
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and I and I wanted to and- ask you that, David, because I think a lot of times when we're writing, we create these outlines and we try to stick to them almost like it's a a you know, our Bible, and, and we're afraid to deviate from it.
0: Yeah, I don't use outlines. I don't find them useful to me. Other writers do, and God bless them, you know, whatever process works. But for me, <clears throat> outlines are like, uh, there's two ways to learn how to drive a Formula One car. You can read a book about it, or you can drive a Formula One car. One is quite different from the other. So when you're writing an outline for a novel, you um, you can fudge and you can be lazy, and you think, ah, you know, I don't have to think that through as deeply because I can just fix that later. If you're actually writing the novel, there is no later. You know, this is D Day, and you have to think it through. You have to see everything. Your mind has to be moving a billion times, and the snaps have to be firing off perfectly. I like to write in the trenches, as it's called, you know, and to be immersed in the situation at the moment when the decisions that I make for the characters are going to matter and can't be changed. And you get to that point, and all of a sudden, you're like Tom Brady dropping back to throw a pass. He sees all other 21 players on the field, and everything goes to slow motion. And you can see everything digitally in real time. That's Do how I feel when I'm writing a novel. I see everything in real time.
3: Do you think there's more to explore with this character?
0: Yes, definitely. This has sort of re-energized him. You know, he's got a brand-new partner. He really, you know, unlike the other six books, he came into this case wondering whether he really had the drive to solve another case, whether he really wanted to do this anymore with his life, which is not something he's never asked himself before in any of the books, so that was a brand new element. Coupled with the fact that he has a new partner that went toe to toe with him and you know never backed down an inch, I think allows Amos Decker to have you know quite a future going forward.
3: David, tell us about your Wish You Well Foundation.
0: So my wife and I formed it about. Over two decades ago, our mission statement is, is simple, to eradicate illiteracy in the U.S. So we fund organizations that uh, provide teaching and reading skills and programs across the country. We fund programs in pretty much all 50 states and county. And we also collect books on my book tour, and we ship those books to local area food banks. People who have low literacy skills typically are food challenged as well. Poverty and illiteracy go hand in hand. But it's also to sustain our democracy. I mean, a democracy, we've only been around for 250 years, yet we're the longest surviving democracy in the history of the world, which is saying something. Um, there's no guarantee we'll always have it, And but one thing that you need to have as a cornerstone is an informed public who are voting on important matters. We live in an age now where there's more disinformation than information, and if you don't have the cognitive and reading skills to separate true from untrue. The decisions you make uh, at the voting booth are not going to be good ones. And all of a sudden, you know, we're no longer going to have a democracy. And people think, well, that's, you know, it's a little uh, hyperbola. And I say, well, you know, we're also now we're, we're dealing with in 2022 book banning and book burning. So and those have historical context. And we've had to happen in the past. And there's never been a good outcome from it. Actually, the outcomes have all been cataclysmic. So it's all about sustaining, you know, people. And if we, if we eradicate illiteracy in the United States, we would almost do away with every social ill we have, everything from crime to poverty, because all of it comes down to the individual's choice to be, you know, make good choices, be self-sustaining, be able to provide for themselves, and, and being a good member in a society. If you get them the skills to do that, most of our other social ills go away.
3: How prevalent is the problem of illiteracy in the United States?
0: There are about 200 million adults in the United States now, primarily maybe 220 million adults. About 115 million of them read at the two lowest levels of literacy, meaning half of those numbers are illiterate completely, and the other half would be hard pressed to read a grocery list. Um, so it is a very prevalent problem, and now you have the highest. I'll, I'll give it to you this way: there, are, there's people whose job it is to predict how many prison beds we're going to need in the future because prisons take a long time to build so you have to have a trajectory and they look at two metrics they're almost 99 percent accurate and one is fourth grade reading scores and the other one is the high school dropout rate if the dropout rate goes up you need more prison beds if the reading score levels go down you need more prison beds that tells you all you need to know about education and reading and society
3: and david what can we do to help you with your foundation
0: um, wishyouwellfoundation.org and reading feedingbodyandmind.com you know there's websites there are ways for you to donate there are ways for you to volunteer in your local communities we'll give you more information to so how you personally can have an impact in this arena
3: and once again David's book is Long Shadows if you'd like to get more information about him and his work you can visit davidbaldacci.com David thank you so much for joining us
0: thank you I enjoyed it very much like nice talking to you
3: this is Conversations with Joan stay with us we'll be right back You've put your heart and soul into writing a book, you've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives a book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com
2: slash book club. Are you aware that by incorporating sound therapy into your daily lives, you can actually improve your immune system? Is the music you listen to on a regular basis encouraging a healthy immune response? And did you know that research has proven that soothing sounds can shift our moods, which has a direct effect on our health? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo. I am a certified Reiki master. Japanese researcher Dr. Emoto has proven over and over again through experimentation that the sounds we listen to, the words we speak, and even our own thoughts have the ability to change the molecular structure within our bodies. Water is a perfect conductor for sound, and since our bodies are made mostly of water, the sounds we hear are carried throughout our bodies to our cells, either creating a healthy or destructive response on a cellular level. Here are some suggestions for using sound for encouraging a healthy immune response. Find time each day to listen to soothing sounds and feel the relaxation settle within. Be mindful of the words you speak. Peaceful and kind words carry a high vibration, encouraging a healthy immune response. And as part of your daily practice, incorporate playing, singing bowls, drumming, or any other type of instrument that brings you joy, as this will also help enhance your health. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com put your heart and soul into
3: writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing The Change Your Attitude Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. All want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on-call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an ICF certified coach who uses neuroscience and coaching to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neuro coach, Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss what happens in the brain when we feel overwhelmed. Welcome Doreen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Doreen, what an important topic this is. In today's world, it is so easy to feel overwhelmed. So let's begin by talking about what happens to us when we experience these feelings.
5: Yeah, so it's such a great question. Um, when we are feeling overwhelmed, it's because um, there's, there's a few different things that are happening. Generally, most of us notice the external things. We notice the, the constant stimulation. We notice all of the emails coming in. We notice all of the notifications. We notice all of the hustle and bustle and chaos surrounding us. And those are the external things or our to-do lists or our demands that are, are calling our attention. Um, what we don't always pay attention to is what's happening inside of us. And and that's how we're managing the energy that's, that's coming in through our brain and our body from the external circumstances. And thirdly, how we perceive that information, because how we perceive it and what's going on internally matters
3: a whole lot more than
5: what's going on externally.
3: When we become mindful of what is happening internally, what can we then do to combat this overwhelm that often overcomes us?
5: Yeah, so I love to um, look at this from the point of view of uh, a coach, David Rock, and he uses this example at, in your brain at work. And he looks at the brain, the prefrontal cortex, where all of the higher function and thinking happens as a small theater. And all of the things that come into our mind are called actors. And and those are the things that hold your attention. And those actors enter the stage like a normal actor would. And, 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 And that's where we focus our attention, right? Sometimes these actors are also members of the audience that come onto the stage to perform, and those those members from the audience that we bring onto the stage are our own thoughts, our memories, and our perceptions. So we have to remember that this stage is small and can only handle a few things at once. In our in our attention economy, our brains are being bombarded by all of this stuff, and then our brains naturally bring actors up from the audience, right? So what what's important to do is to think of your brain as, as having limited space on that stage and removing certain things from that stage so that you could place your focus on the areas that, that you want to. And, and one of the techniques I love to use for this is called a brain dump, where you just sit for like 2 to 3 minutes and dump every thought that you have on a piece of paper whether it's whether it's important whether you perceive it's important or not and then you get to to leave them there and focus on what you want to focus on and later you can sort those thoughts into what needs to be done what needs to go what needs to be filed what needs to be delegated to somebody else that helps our brains to clear that stage so we can really Focus on the work that's
3: in front of us. Doreen, can you give us a tip that can help us avoid allowing those external factors in, so we don't even feel overwhelmed to begin with?
5: Yeah. So part of it is is noticing what's happening in in your body. Um, our bodies. Are the first thing that give us a clue, kind of like a dashboard on on a car, a car dashboard. It's it's the the light that's flashing, emergency, right? Our bodies are are showing either tension or anxiety. It's holding tension in your jaw and your shoulders. That's a clue that something is going on underneath the hood. That there's something that we need to address. So at that point, when we notice that there is something going on in our bodies, we need to pause and get curious. We need to pause and ask ourselves some questions. What is it that's going on right now for me internally? What is it that I want to see? And by doing that, we get the emotional charge out of it and we go to that that stage, right, where we can start sorting and thinking and solving the problem about what's going on internally for us. And of course, you know, mindfulness practice, which, which we've all heard a lot about, just taking that moment when we're pausing and just taking a few deep breaths really does a lot to bring that, that tension down, release feel good hormones in your brain and allow you to focus in a, in a, a more clear way so that you can see what's going on in front of you.
3: Doreen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Doreen and her work, you can visit livingfullifecoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Doreen, you can visit our website, Doreen. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book, you've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives a book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club.
0: The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications